Hey everybody, welcome to Shallow Dives, uh, episode what, six uh, quarantine movie club cast? I've lost count doing? because when I look into your eyes, Max, time stops making sense and numbers stop existing. And... Yeah, that is true. That does happen. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, I don't remember what episode this is, but I do know that we have watched a lot of fucking movies in just the past uh, month and a half or whatever it is. Um, and I'm kind of fucking proud of ourselves, man. Yeah, like, do you think like, we fucked up by doing four movies an episode, though? Because I think that all the time. I'm just like, God, this is a lot of movies to watch. It, it honestly is starting to feel like work. It's work that I enjoy, but it is starting to feel like work. work. On, on top of just, like, the actual full-time job that I have, you know, being an essential man in these essential times. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, um, you know, I'm I'm not mad about it. I'm getting a film education for fucking once in my life, and it's humbling me every single week because I'm realizing just how much shit there is to watch. Yeah, and um, it's interesting because we were talking about this. It's like, I think we've come at it from different angles. I've really tried to be like, I don't know a lot of foreign shit. Let me just recommend a lot of foreign shit because I want to have that film education. You've given yeah. me a foreign film on this list as well, but uh, when making our next list, I was very conscious of the fact that I was like, I have just drowned this man in subtitles. Like, let me try to find American films. And you know what I found out, Max? You've seen American films, so it's hard for me to do that. You know what I mean? Like, it's hard I, for Well, I, yeah, I, I feel bad. I, I complained, I think, maybe off mic, maybe on. I don't don't remember like oh yeah just like give me some uh, english language something it was just because i was tired and i'd been working <laughs> or whatever but dude don't let me limit you you know okay. if you want to give me non-stop woody allen if you want to give me non-stop foreign films like whatever you want to do it's your list i will watch it and uh give my thoughts on it all right well um, we'll see i'll revise the list i know usually at the end of this we kind of give the list out but i would want to change one or two things so we'll figure it out but we'll, we'll uh, figure it out in any case, man, let's talk about these four because we have a weird eclectic mix and there's some there's some subtitles in this one, but also some no, actually subtitles in three out of the four unless I'm fucking up. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Um, so yeah, I guess I'll go I'll go first uh, with the only English language uh, one, but also has some Gaelic mm-hmm. in there, some other Aboriginal languages. Uh, talking about Jennifer Kent's 2018-2019 uh, film, The Nightingale. Yeah. Um, and I say 2018, 2019, because it's like one of those festival things where it came out in 2018, but it didn't release till 2019. Uh, but yeah, The Nightingale, a very notoriously hard film to watch. That was the kind of buzz around it on the festival circuit. Um, and for good reason. Uh, I saw this movie last year, and uh, it is something that was really hard for me to rewatch for this uh, episode, and I'm sorry that I recommended it to you, but I also think that it's something that is kind of important. Like it, it's a movie that has stayed with me in a very visceral way uh, in the months since I first watched it, um, and kind of got better on the second. I don't know how you felt. Um, look, I mean, I'm, I'm not gonna be some brave hero here by saying that I think the Babadook was this like fucking holy shit moment for a new sort of wave of horror that we were getting, mm-hmm. you know, like it follows and then and, and, and Babadook and the kind of the unseen, the yeah. existential, the sort of Damocles kind of horror, like, oh, we're all, yeah. you know? So I, I mean, whatever she, she did that. And I think what's so interesting is like, was, was given Wonder Woman, didn't want to do Wonder Woman, you know, mm-hmm. had options to do a lot of things and then stayed quiet to make this film, which now that we have some time away from it, wasn't a success. It certainly wasn't a Babadook success. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, According to Wikipedia, made $660,000 at the box office. I mean, that's horrific uh, yeah. because, like, let me tell you this, um, you know, I, I I liked it way more than The Babadook, and I love The Babadook. I mean, like, I got to yeah. tell you, like, how much I love that movie. But it, it was just the realization that, like, I didn't know what movie I was watching. You think you're watching one movie. You realize mm-hmm. at the halfway point where I'm like, oh, this movie's got 20 minutes. Wait, there's an hour left? <laughs> like, you realize this is not really the movie that you're going to be seeing. It's steeped into, one, a very personal story, but a, a personal history, personal shame uh, yeah. of, of an entire country and in a weird way, colonialization in general, white people in general. Like, it's mm-hmm. got so much going on in it, and I was not ready for it. And by the way, can I just say this? Like, yeah, the first 30 minutes, I think there's three rapes in the first 30 minutes. It is fucking hard to watch but i'm so annoyed at the buzz around it was like this is too hard to watch this is probably too hard to go live through people that's the whole point like what are you talking about and and i brought this up to you uh in our best movies of the year this made my like number three spot um that i'd never really seen like sexual assault filmed this way 
in that it was all filmed from her perspective. It was yeah. always on her face. There was nothing exploitative about it. Um, you kind of live through that moment with her. And that, I think, is what makes it so horrifying. It's not graphic in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Like, it's more suggested than anything. Uh, there is a scene later that is, like, just straight-up sickening that does not involve huh. her. Yeah, um, yeah. And which, by the way, like genius on that account too this yeah. level of like okay like rape is rape that's horrific but this level of humanity that is brought to a horrific act when it's a white person as opposed to an a lower fucking form of life or whatever i mean like the movie has so much to say and like can we just set up the plot a little bit because otherwise i'm gonna go crazy yeah yeah do you do you want to give it a go uh yeah i'm not gonna do great but okay so it's, it takes place in tasmania right a little island right off the main coast of australia uh and the little history lesson of tasmania i found out while watching it which is, was so interesting is that like you know like okay if australia was the prison of the world tasmania was the was the escape from new york was the arkham city was the supermax of of the world like they right. would send like their particularly heinous people there uh, to to you know kind of forge a new life or be in labor camps or do whatever. Um, never mind that there was an indigenous people there. Our story takes place and we have a, a female protagonist who's from Ireland who's done something bad. I forget ex the exact nature of the crime, but is mm -hmm. serving penance for it basically. I, I believe she's a thief, and that's really all they really say about it. It's like oh, like uh, sharp words for a thief or something is right. Yeah. It starts off really pretty. I mean, it starts off, uh, she's like, she's a singer, blah, blah, blah. But if we can just get to cut to it and then we'll go beat by beat is just basically this woman is wronged. Uh, these, these men in charge fucking kill her husband and kill her baby. Spoiler alert. And then and she's then on a raper. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I thought that was implied. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> uh, and then she basically goes on a, on a quest uh, from one part of civilized tasmania to the other part of civilized tasmania in between is like treacherous jungle and shit like that in order to enact her revenge uh and yeah. she's accompanied by uh, an indigenous man named blackbird uh or billy um and that's all you really need to know for the setup of the story right did i miss anything no no just that she's like it's this weird kind of like because we haven't really seen much of this and it very much was like a real ass thing like indentured servitude like yeah. she's an indentured servant um, who is not being released uh, according to legal guidelines by this sort of awful fucking uh, guy, this lieutenant. It is, uh, oh, yeah, Detour. Yeah. Sam Claflin, right? Yeah. That's his name? Good mm -hmm. for him. <laughs> I mean, I hate him. I hate him in this movie. I didn't know he could be an actor like that, to be honest, until I saw him be the most unlikable, evil human being in the world. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely like a, a top tier piece of shit. Like you just want to punch him in the face every time you see him villain in this. Um, and yeah, good on him. Like he he nails it. He goes places with this. Well, all right. So let's talk about the film itself, right? Because I mean, I don't want to spoil every single beat of this movie. I, I want people to go into it and explore it. You know what I mean? Um, but what's interesting to me is like on, on the surface in terms of how it's shot it's shot very visceral also shot in the fucking academy ratio which i didn't realize for like 20 minutes of that movie because the beginning is yeah. very dark so i'm like ah, oh, whatever bars i whatever it's a choice and then like once they get to the sunlight i'm like oh these bars aren't going away this is fucking interesting like it's a i think ghost story did the same ratio which is really interesting like you've seen kind of people go back to that recently yeah. um and i thought that was amazing but aesthetically it has this really gritty texture uh, texture to it mm -hmm. um the story evokes this weird, like, okay, we're going from civilization into an uncivilized part. Uh, the easy comparison is like Apocalypse Now. It's the first thing I thought of. I'm like, oh, she's going into the wilderness. Oh, man, she's going she's gonna to find her own savagery and shit like that. And this is kind of what I mean where I'm like, oh, this is not the movie that I think I'm seeing because we right. kind of arrive at that point after some really heinous shit happens, right? Um, and we realize that, like, she's not so consumed by her act of vengeance that she isn't still appalled by the disturbing nature of things like the horrors that she herself has been able to commit yeah i i mean it, it is like you, you think you're watching like you said kind of a traditional revenge story like okay we got the bad trauma part out of the way and now she's just this uh, vessel for revenge but she she isn't when, when it comes time to act i mean the movie kind of turns into more of a meditation on what revenge means and like what violence does to a person and like how that ruptures your soul. Um, and like, how can you like stake out a claim, like for a little bit of agency, like a little piece of real estate um, in a world where this shit is sanctioned. 
Well, that um, was the that was the added layer to it for sure because it reminded me of like Unforgiven. That scene in Unforgiven where Morgan Freeman kills someone for the first time in like twenty years or something, and he's confronted yeah. like I can't do this anymore. You know what I'm saying? Right. And it was it was very similar to that, except that like nah man like you're, you're a woman like and they play that card really interestingly by the way because mm-hmm. by having billy there as a character having an indigenous man wearing white people's clothes because he was forcibly removed from his tribe because all of his people were killed and stuff like that yeah. you're talking about these two marginalized groups billy thinks that she's another englishman right. like oh you're english you're white all white people are, are the devils you know what i mean mm-hmm. and like similarly how many times do we hear white characters called the the indigenous people black devils you know what i mean like and, and i mean to be fair she does too for like the first part of this movie she she's engaging in that kind of casual racism as well like uh, holding a gun on him the whole time while he's guiding her and like it, it turns into this sort of uneasy alliance that kind of turns into without saying it and this is kind of what i loved about it is just how subtle it is like they sort of earn each other's trust just through witnessing shared trauma like they realize they're both people who have been subjected to terrors yeah and it doesn't happen in one scene that's the great no. thing there's this really wonderful fire scene where he they, he's just like oh white people she's like i'm not because again by the way if there's one person in the world who could be shittier about uh like the 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 english coming in and fucking up the home it's like oh the irish yeah like that makes sense right so she's like i hate the i hate the english you know what i mean and they have this moment even though he's like you look like the english like he hasn't differentiated that like oh man like they can subjugate their own people people who look like them they have no problem subjugating our fucking people you know what i mean taking away our culture and it really is this moment of them seeing each other like for what it is and then gaining that empathy and i was i was blown away by that because the entire movie it's just like say what you want it's like women i think generally still have it harder than men like you could be a black man and like your experience as a black woman is always going to be harder i think just because of like like lennon said it man like i ain't gonna repeat the song but like the women have had their rights taken and stripped from them much longer than men have but we let we let uh, the slaves we freed them and then they voted within the next 10 years we didn't give women the right to vote until the 20s so like it was this real thing of like okay confronted with a face to put your prejudices on and also to learn from instead of like yeah. to have those prejudices fucking blown up in your face on both sides was this really wonderful thing, man. Uh, I don't, I, I feel like I, I just don't want to go into specifics of the story because it's so fucking pretty and I want people to experience yeah. it. No, no, it, it really is like a tremendous piece of work. And like I said, it stayed with me for a long time. It's not an easy film to watch, but it's mm-hmm. very much something that I think people should watch. Like the things it's making you confront, again, it's not exploitative. Uh, it's it's important, you know. It's like shit that people have actually gone through, and on some level, things that we're still kind of fucking with, and still yeah, going. we have not evolved nearly as much as we'd like to think. I personally, and again, I, the Babadook was this revelation, but for me, this is um, it's the confirmation. It's it's like when Pet Sounds came out, we're like, oh shit, Pet Sounds is great, and then Smile comes out a year later, you're like, what? <laughs> like he can do it twice? You know what I'm saying? Like it, it, yeah. Well, for me, that's, I mean, I know that came out like 40 years later, but you know what I'm saying? It's like the idea that she heard the next thing that came, it wasn't a fluke. It was something that I think had more of a fucking masterful hand at doing exactly what it wants to do. Not a wasted shot. The performances are amazing. Like, I love I love that Billy guy. Like, because it seems like he's not doing much on Front Street. And then by the end of it has just done this incredible journey. That beach scene is I like teared up a little bit and I don't think it's played for like, Oh, let's pull on your heartstrings. Really? It's just this beautiful moment. Just a gorgeous, gorgeous moment. Um, and yeah, I I don't want to say anything more. Like you said, we don't want to spoil anything. Uh, it's just a movie you really should experience. And I did benefit from like seeing it another time as hard as it is to stomach, just like the scene early on with her and, and her kid, like just lying in bed where she's like, you know, just talking to her child and singing to it and everything. It was just like... That baby was cute, I gotta say. Every time I see a baby with one of those little head thingies on, I'm like, oh, shit! Bring it back. Oh, but but really quickly, and then we can move on. I do want to give her credit because it's still... It's not a horror film, but moments of absolute fucking dread in this movie. And I thought that's really what I liked so much about it. It She was flexing this muscle and also showing you, I can do all this other stuff. To do a period piece, to to cross the language barrier, two different languages, by the way, Mm -hmm. um... To, to shoot it on location from what i understand just purely shot on location in tasmania is like it's an achievement man it makes me so sad not enough people have seen it but it makes me think like whatever she's doing next 
I cannot wait for. You know, I'm I'm all in for it. Like with two movies, like I can safely say she's uh, the real fucking deal. Like, yeah, man. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful filmmaker, and I can't wait. Um, let's move on from there. Uh, let's let's swerve over to me. Let's let's keep it in the realm of the female uh, filmmakers if we can. I uh, made you watch a Czechoslovakian film uh, called Daisies by a, a Czechoslovakian female director. Don't know her name. It's too hard. Something Veledik or something. I've, I've got a Wikipedia entry right here. I'm going to fuck up the pronunciation of this. Uh, Vera Chitilova. Chitilova. Yeah. Vera Chitilova. All right. Nailed it. Um, yeah. So this movie came out. And can I be honest? I picked this movie. Uh, I mean, I guess we didn't pick it, what, uh, you know, when we were doing F is for fake. But having seen it now, it, it, it really evokes a similar aesthetic to me. Obviously, could not be anything cl- like resembling content <laughs> similar but uh i really like this movie because it's made in the 60s um it was made basically during war torn um you know that part of europe is fucked up we're still feeling the repercussions from the cold war and then world war ii and things are still yeah. fucked up altogether. Well, so, it, it opens with and closes with like uh footage of like bombs and stuff yeah. right it bookends yeah. the film and then everything in between is this weird kaleidoscope of fucking color and stuff like that and and so here's the thing i, I think this could be a movie where i said earlier I was like, I oh, appreciate it, but not not adored. Mm-hmm. I could see you not liking this movie, to be honest, because it does seem like there's a lot going on with it at first. But I, I'd like to, again, ask everyone to think about these films in the context of which they were made, which was communist state, which was against uh, overindulgence, uh, against individuality, against fucking females, for sure. And this movie comes out like a fucking shot in the dark. Max, what did you think of Daisies? Well... Uh, so, so I'm going to be really honest with you don't hate me, but, uh, like, like on the one hand, I read up a lot about this movie, like both before and after I can appreciate the context in which it was made. And like when viewing it from that context, I respect it, but the experience of actually watching it, I, I honestly kind of hated it. And and the entire thing, like it, it was, I don't mean to be shitty, man. Like, I really don't. Because, like, I respect, like, some of the things that were done in it. And, like, uh, more the general kind of punk rock vibe of it. But I think a lot of your enjoyment of this movie is going to come down to how uh, charming and outrageous you find the two girls in it. And I didn't find them to be either of those things. Um, There's even a scene, and I know it's, like, considered, like, uh, one of the great feminist works, and I I really think people say that just because there's, like, a five-minute scene where the girls are just cutting up dick-shaped food with scissors. And eggs. Um, Equal opportunity. It's just a very grating watch, like, the experience of actually watching it. I'm glad I saw it. Um, I feel like I watched a little piece of history, but it was not a fun watch. I don't know how, did, did you enjoy, like, watching this? Uh, this is a movie I watched three times because it took me that long to get through it. Uh, not no, not three front to backs. I mean, oh. like I, I admit it, it's taxing and it's grating. I'm not saying it's not that. I do again. I look at it from a purely like, okay, what was going on in the rest of the world at that time? French New Wave had pretty much blown up, and we had all mass consumed that Jean Luc Godard and fucking Francois Truffaut and all those people. Mm-hmm. Um, men weren't getting movies made in Czech Republic at this time, let alone it's like radical fucking women who were taking on the state. Uh, And I do think some of the techniques they did, like going from like monochromatic film stock to then going to this like, holy shit color palette, like, because that's what it is. It becomes this kaleidoscope feeling thing. The reason I brought up the F for fake thing is the the editing style at times is so unrelenting. Uh, And again, we, we, we think back about now, like just, sitting with a fucking machine and having to cut that shit i'm just like oh my god for sure like here's the thing though like uh the the color changing and like the editing and everything is impressive on its own but like i don't understand like the the reason for it oh yeah no all of that devoid of a plot or an overarching actual theme that you're trying to work towards and i'll say that dude this movie feels like improv jazz but not with miles davis like holding it down it feels yeah. like you know like some guy who's kind of good at saxophone but i got this guy so like no because there is there's nothing like from scene to scene it feels like okay what do we want to do okay okay let's do it like there is nothing from one scene to the next to grab onto you know well I, i've heard like some theories on it like uh one th- theory i heard was that the two girls represent uh lenin and stalin and that they're they're sort of uh, leeching off the country and doing whatever they want and breaking all the rules. And at the end, they've eaten all the food 
and they've taken everything from the common people and they've gorged themselves and then they drown uh, as a result, um, which kind of see it okay maybe um i don't know that there was that much context i don't think yeah i don't think they put in the existential thought (laughs) (laughs) what i really do get the vibe that it was like you said like just uh yeah you want to like do a scene like we got some bananas here you want to like cut them up wouldn't that be fun because they look like dicks right um and that's sort of what they did uh but like again i i appreciate the attitude of it i appreciate that like this was a woman in the 60s who was making her own film um, starring two women uh, about a whole lot of nothing. Yeah. I mean, if there's one wraparound story, it's like the world is gone, is is broken. It's gone mad. So let's, let's, let's do it too. That's the, that's the movie. That's it. 90 minutes of that pretty much. Uh, And again, like there, I still think that it's this real achievement, but I think what it, what it spotlights, maybe the first time, this is what I'm really glad when we get into disagreements, we can then spotlight what the lesson to be learned is, is that like, I think as a film, it is this technically proficient, wonderful movie that really moved things ahead on an aesthetic level, on an editing level, and on that perspective. But, like, that's not what films are. Films are all of those things, plus a story. Like, there's got to be these characters, like, and you can't have one without the other. Right. Well, like, I'm okay with a movie not having a story. Like, we uh, we talked about and watched abstract shit before. Like, we like David Lynch and, like, his short films and everything. Like, but at least... But that exists on a dream logic that you can sort of tenuously follow, which this doesn't. Which is where I was going with it, yeah. I'm like, sorry, uh, I'm sorry. No, it's fine. Um, Is, like, at least with an abstract thing, no matter how, how abstract it is, you need to be able to anchor it to something, because at... At a certain point, you don't have a movie, you have an art installation. It's something that you project on a wall in an art studio, and people filter in and out every five minutes. Like, it's not... Well, you nailed that because that it feels like Warhol a little bit, right? It feels like this this very curated factory projection type kind of performance. Like, yeah, so maybe you nailed that, man. Um, either way, I still think like time period, all that stuff this is why I'm always like when the paint was drying because it's important. I think it, it its importance isn't faded because the film hasn't aged. Like it still is this important thing. I just sure. think, you know, it's like they don't have that much representation. This is the one that oh, I always kept hearing about. And so when yeah. I watched it, I was like, oh, I get it, but I also don't. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, no, like, like again, I'm, I'm glad that I, I, I watched it and that I'm able to say that I saw it and that I was challenged by something. And even though that challenge was me literally gritting my teeth through most of it, um, I, I am glad that I saw it. It's just not something that I would say was enjoyable to watch. But I did read a lot of like uh, user reviews and stuff, and like a lot of people do find this movie to be like fun and delightful and whatever. Like, so I'd say it's worth checking out. Like, find yeah, out man. for yourself. Uh, for me personally, it wasn't that. But I, um, I, I went back because when I do these movies, I often want to go look at like because like we really like Ebert, you know. I like to see what he kind of thought of these films. Uh, and I didn't see anything on that film by him, but uh, Kermode, I, I found a thing. Kermode really loves this movie. And I was like, oh, well, Max has got to love it now. So I'm <laughs> sad. But Yeah, damn. Yeah, I mean, Kermode hated Under the Silver Lake. So, you know, we... Oh, swing and a miss, bro. Swing and a miss. Uh, all right, man. Well, that was Daisy. So we we're down two. Uh, why don't you take us to a, a creepy French world, man? Creepy French world, uh, talking about a little film called Playtime, 1967, Jacques Tati comedy film. Um, This is a movie, I don't know about you, this is a movie that I had heard about since I started hearing about movies, because Mm -hmm. I'd heard Spielberg talk about how it was this tremendous inspiration. I'd heard David Lynch talk about Jacques Tati in general, particularly this movie and Mon Uncle. Um, I'd heard uh, even Rowan Atkinson, Mr. Bean, talk about it. Um, All of them saying that it's like this tremendous fucking achievement. And I'd just never seen it. Um, So I'm like, I I put it on this list just because I wanted to force myself to finally sit down and watch it. And I don't know about you. uh, This is, I think, like my favorite thing that I've watched so far while doing this. Um, Like this is... uh, kind of fucking staggering to me and i'm really mad at myself that i never saw it before i'm really mad at myself that i haven't seen any other jacques tati aside from this uh he shoots these it's almost plotless um and it's almost uh kind of like uh episodic or refractory or barely has any dialogue at all 
Um, he shoots these big kind of compositions, all filmed in 70 millimeter uh, wide angle lenses uh, with comedy stories going on in the foreground, the center frame and the background all at once. Um, I don't think it's a movie that you can even watch uh, a few times and see all the jokes and gags that are happening in it. Um, I'll stop gushing about it, though. Like, what did you think of uh, Playtime? I thought it was fucking garbage, man. No, 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 no. Um, I, I, it's a movie. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what it is, man. It's a movie that you're right. We kind of got into this thing about like, when do you watch these movies, Christian? I'm like, I like to watch them right before we record. I like to have the recency bias in my head. And then you were being some fucking asshole being like, well, I like to do this. And as always, when I think you're being an asshole, you're just right about shit. <laughs> and, I, and I don't like to admit that. So I call you an asshole. And you were like, well, I just watch Playtime. And it's the kind of movie that I would need to see more than once and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, he's fucking Max, whatever. And I watched it. And I'm like, well, I probably benefit from watching the like what happened was a couple times while watching this movie i paused and went back because yeah. i thought i saw something and i was like oh okay and then noticed some other shit that's going on and so i guess all right let me let me go into it for my thing which is to say that for me right off the bat it evoked a lot of films um it felt like deep focus the film or like or, or like citizen kane you know like citizen kane had these incredible deep focus things or uh, metropolis was the big one the silent film Metropolis, where there is these huge fucking sets, huge sweeping like uh, lenses that they're able to use. They fit so much in the frame to begin with. Yeah. Uh, and everything's perfectly in focus. That's what's creeping me out is like you have the ability to just pick whatever you want to look at. And that is your focal point. Mm -hmm. uh, but you could also then go to the left corner of the screen. There's some other thing going on over there. Reminded me of Synecdoche at New York a lot. Uh, not in story, but in as much that when you watch Synecdoche New York, it, by design, he has built a fake city. I right. watched that and was like, this can't be Paris. And I looked it up later and like built on on models and sets and stuff like that. And I'm like, of course, yeah. you would have to. So it evoked all this like aesthetic stuff to me right off the bat, which I was like, oh, I'm going to need to do homework on this. <laughs> like, I'm going to need to watch this a couple of times. Yeah. Of the one time that I watched it, what I will tell you is that uh, the symmetry is fucking beautiful. It's shot beautiful. Again, no doubt because he had complete control of every aspect of it. Uh, huge sets. Oh, yeah, huge. And I can put the light here and I can do that. Like anything he wants to do. Uh, set design, obviously. Like, um, you know, so apparently he, this character, and I've never watched anything by him, but this, yeah. is, a, this is a runner. This is like uh, his. Yeah, Monsieur Hulot. Okay, um, so this is like his chaplain type character, right? This is played by the director and writer Jacques Tati. Um, it's this character that he played like a chaplain type. And from my understanding is that like by the time Playtime came out, he was sick of Monsieur Hulot. Mm. Like this is the guy that put him on the map and he was tired of being only known for that. He wanted Ooh. to be known for his films. Like the Woody so Allen he kind of, yeah. He kind of sidelined Monsieur Hulot in this movie. He is in the movie. And he kind of ties it together, but he wanted the movie to be more about the tableau, the experience. Well, that's also kind of the last one. This is a weird, not romantic, really French version of Lost in Translation as well, in a very weird way, right? Because it's about like an, like one of the other subplots, like an American woman kind of trying to find the real Paris. And then right. and him, he kind of bookends it at the very end. It's a pretty little thing. But in the middle, it feels like this very meandering thing that doesn't really amount to anything like you said there's dialogue but it's not necessarily discernible like when i think back to it i don't really remember dialogue so much as i remember uh just the visuals and it, the biggest thing i can say about it is that it feels like a silent film where they kept the sound like the sound is very important but in terms of the gags the physicality before we had sound and we could do all this other shit we had to rely on putting it on your screen for you um yeah. and he kind of just turns that up to 11. Yeah, he does like it. It's remarkable in a lot of ways, but like especially just for the use of sound effects and not dialogue, but sound effects for guiding your eye like to where it needs to be. Um, like there's this like neon sign gag and all these recurring gags that sort of like build on top of each other. And it seems plotless at first, but it does kind of have this logic to it and this message to it, which is like a sort of like. Uh, friendly satire on like uh, the encroaching modern uh, movement in Paris or modern. Oh, for sure. Well, because I was going to say, do you mind if I jump in for one second? Because uh, I want to add to that point, which is like, it's interesting to me that the other kind of like and uh, entry point is an American woman who is outside of the mold of that. Everyone yeah. else has gone to Paris. There's the scene where they go to like the expo or whatever, and mm -hmm. they're going to a place that they could probably find in the States. Like for sure they would find in the States. They're selling American products. It's all about the city of Paris, which like I've been to multiple times and I love it. And right. I love it because even though there are parts of it that have, 
they got McDonald's on the corners and shit like that. Like they have kept the cafe. Yeah. yeah. But but there's like almost, except for in two reflections that I can remember, you see old Paris, but the rest of it is all these modern sort of monolithic skyscrapers. Uh, he made a point to not have anything green in the movie that was like visible, like no plants, no nothing. It was just all like apartment buildings and expos and offices. Um, yeah, just really, fu- and like just monochromatic and gray. He said he wanted it to be, almost like a black and white movie that wasn't black and white and then holy well, that's what so he he crossed that a couple times he did that a couple times then because it's a silent film with sound and it's a black and white film with color um yeah. and beyond that like all right so we're talking about the technical aspect of it because that's what floored me at first once i was able to sort of settle into it because i think we've talked about this really good art sometimes needs to hold your hand and be like hey this is how you watch this um because i was just like i don't know what's happening and then there's one bit that got me and then i was like okay i think i'm in and it's like 20 30 minutes into the movie it's not right off the bat okay but it's like where where the guy calls up some guy asking for reports he's like can i get the numbers on the report thing and it's this giant shot Mm. and so we see him make the call we see the guy on a farther away cubicle pick up the phone and then in real time walk to the place to get the information which is right next to the where the guy made the initial call he goes back walks it back picks up the phone and like does that sound hilarious? No, but the fact that it takes 50 seconds to execute and they don't right. cut is the greatest fucking joke I've ever seen. I mean, even before that, just there, there's this, this scene where I just started laughing out loud where it's literally just a guy walking down a long hallway with the loudest, clackiest shoes I've oh, ever seen. Well, okay. Heard. No, that's before. Okay. No, that's yeah. amazing because he keeps almost getting up and he's like, nope, nope, sit down. Um, and then there's this running gag, this wonderful running gag with this chair that, like, uh, Monsieur Hulot, like, he presses it down and goes, and it, like, makes a fart sound. And you see that chair in every scene almost. Like, it's yeah. in the apartments, it's in the offices. He finds it for uh, purchase or whatever. Like, it's everywhere. Um, and I, I read this beautiful quote about this movie, which is that uh, – the, the movie is populated by people who walk in straight lines. It's about kind of conformity. Um, and the character, uh, Monsieur Hello, and the, uh, the American uh, tourist or whatever, they kind of walk in circular patterns. And then by the end of the movie, things sort of fall apart. People stop walking in straight lines. And that's sort right. of about like the disintegration of that conformity for just one night. Um, it's like the, there's this 45-minute uh, restaurant opening sequence where this restaurant descends into chaos and falls apart and people start, you know, uh, subbing in for the band or whatever. Um, it, I feel like well, you wanted to- Well, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say about that. Like, that's where I'm like, I got to rewatch this because there were there were times in that scene. I found, I paused and rewound like five times during that scene alone and I stopped doing it because i was just like oh, i'll just look at the frame somewhere else next time because that that in particular there are just jokes on fucking jokes happening and a lot of the times nearly simultaneously mm-hmm. so it's like you're not on purpose you're not supposed to see all of this stuff you know right. what i mean so you got to go back there multiple setups and payoffs like the the tiles are not fully like cemented to the floor so like a waiter <laughs> will step on the tiles and then like the chairs have just been freshly painted so yeah. people will chair imprint on their backs or the, the tile one gets me because it's the beginning of that scene and it, it sticks to his shoe and he just walks off but that's the thing there's so many bits there that got me where i'm like this guy's just a fucking genius because why would you yeah. think of this bit my favorite bit and again i didn't catch all of these but my yeah. favorite one is the doorman because mm-hmm. monsieur he breaks the well yeah so he breaks the thing and this guy's like i am not going to be outsourced <laughs> i'm not going to be obsolete <laughs> so he holds the fucking there now what's funny about that it's like that's hilarious but then there's a bit later where they're trying to close up and there's a guy coming and you he like pretends like hey like oh sorry we're locked and the guy just walks just walks right past him and he goes fuck all right and i was like okay this might be the funniest movie of all time the, the, I, here's the thing about the review man i would say this it's a movie that absolutely demands to be watched about two or three times i mean that there's just no other way around it watch it the first time teach yourself how to watch it find a couple jokes and then know where to not look the next time i think that's the only thing i could say about it as a film i think it's a stunning kind of work man i think anytime you see anyone be purely auteur be a pure auteur in a time where like i guess he had money but from what i understand this kind of ruined him financially like he produced this himself he insisted that it only be shown in theaters equipped with a 70 millimeter projector. And I couldn't it, imagine yeah, this movie in a 35, dude. No yeah. way. No, not at all. Um, but yeah, like, dude, uh, apparently he died um, broke 
like in bankrupt and pretty bitter. Um, and like the bit with uh, Monsieur Hulot and the American tourists was sort of like a tribute to him and his estranged daughter, apparently had this estranged daughter. And it's like, uh, yeah, it, he, he had a pretty sad end to his life, unfortunately. Um, but but I, I will say like this movie did make me, uh, again, just like kind of fucking shocked in general, just how good it was. And I didn't expect it to be this good. Um, what year was this made? Is it 60s or 70s? 67 okay yeah. so that's my thing not a french new waiver he was an old man by the time he made that movie he, but he was he was a mime wasn't he like wasn't that his big deal i'm i'm honestly not 100 percent sure like what well, his I, i'm i'm just like. juxtaposing with the next film we're going to do is a band apart the right band of outsiders mm-hmm. which is firmly jean-luc godard new wave and what i'm saying is this still represents like uh an era of filmmaking that predates that uh, right, but, but has like, all the ambition still yeah, like French New Wave was supposed to be like sort of like a a cheaper, down and dirtier, more guerrilla style filmmaking, right? Like kind right. of more handheld, um, using natural lighting, all that, like sort of eschewing like the old French tradition traditions. Yeah. Um. So I guess this wouldn't qualify. Um. It's a little too big budget, but yeah. Uh. Check this movie out. It's free on YouTube if you don't have Criterion. Um. But definitely watch it in Criterion HD version if you can. Yeah, it gets the Christian stamp of approval as well. Our final film for today uh, is a Jean-Luc Godard film. We did a Clio from five to seven a couple weeks back, which I really like. Agnes Varda's new wave contribution, feminist punch into the darkness uh, of a otherwise fucking male-dominated kind of movement. Uh, Francois Truffaut and and, and Jean-Luc Godard are the big heavy hitters and stuff like that, but populated by a bunch of other filmmakers. This one uh, is sort of known even if people don't know it. If you're a casual movie buff, and we defined that last week, as anyone who had seen a couple of Quentin Tarantino movies, <laughs> like if you call yourself a casual film buff, if you watch those movies, you may have seen this thing on the front of those movies. The production company was called A Band Apart. I was like, yeah. damn, that's cool looking. Uh, and apparently it was taken directly from this. Film. The, the, the title English film is Band of Outsiders, but the French title is A Band Apart. Um, and so it is Jean-Luc Godard's second film or third film, I believe. I got to look that up. But um, generally considered his most accessible film, in a way yeah. that like Breathless kind of isn't. And like when watching it, I was like, oh yeah, it totally is. Like I like Breathless a lot, but I understand why people don't. Uh, so I want to ask you right off the bat, man, because again, you're not super, super steeped in in the uh, the French New Wave. You've seen a couple things. How did this one speak to you? Uh, I, I really, really liked it. Um, maybe even loved it. Uh, I just watched it today. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really fucking late on that and I am sorry for that. It's all good. Um, but got it done, uh, knocked it out. And yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. I mean, the, the great thing about French New Wave, uh, from what I've seen and what I know about it, is that it will kind of always feel contemporary because it is more like rooted in realism, kind of documentary style filmmaking and things that have obviously like permeated well into modern day. Right. So like everything, and it's like very influenced by Hitchcock too, like French New oh, Wave. Oh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, like, you watch a Hitchcock film, you watch a French New Wave film, and it's always going to feel immediate and modern because it's usually just kind of people talking, but it's also about that freedom, um, that sort of freedom of expression where anything can happen. And there is a great moment in this movie that locks it in, I think probably for everybody uh, that likes it, is, like, they go to this cafe and they say, okay, now we need to have a moment of silence. And the movie literally cuts the sound out for like almost a full minute. And then they have this great little dance scene that apparently Tarantino lifted for Pulp Fiction. Fiction. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's favorite scene. You're welcome. And I'm not even mad. No, hold on. Because like, that's the thing. Because I, I, I've been really shitty about him for a long time. <laughs> because yeah. what I thought it was, was him standing on the works of great artist and calling himself tall and i don't think that's what it is you know what i mean i think it's like any of us like we are so moved by the things that we see at a very certain time of our lives that if we can give someone a door into that world like we're gonna do it i think it's sad that people see pulp fiction and like god isn't he the most original guy in the world and i'm like he's original in that he figured out how to put it into this weird package but i'm not i'm not ever mad at tarantino aside for when he's like a cringy uh arrogant piece of shit um, I'm more like mad that people sort of like start with Tarantino and then stop with Tarantino. I'm right. more mad at like his his fans who also call themselves film fans. Have some right. humility, admit that you don't know anything about movies, and uh, educate yourself. You know, 
because that's that's what we're trying to do i don't know shit about movies apparently um right but like, did you did you know that going into this that that scene was there or did you see it and you were like oh fuck of course like no i i had heard that about it um like i, I think i read about pulp fiction like a while ago that like he was influenced by this particular movie or this scene and then like i forgot about that and then when watching it it was like oh shit there it is um and it, it's like a very I, I don't know if you want to get into the plot but like kind of very basic story about this this young woman you guys like the plot is almost beside the point i feel like uh, yeah no i i agree I mean, we can get into it very briefly if you want just people commit a crime <laughs> like i mean yeah. that's that's kind of what it is like and that's as much as i really want to get into it because i think like saying a setup like that much like what we did with cleo from five to seven it's like she's waiting on test results it doesn't really matter you know what i mean it's not about that it's the moments in between in a way uh right. and this movie really beautifully does that but in a way that it just feels so much more friendly and fun than breathless did like i looked this up and apparently like for western critics or whatever this is the one that they prefer to breathless which is so weird because in film circles at least the very limited ones i do people always go to breathless right like you've heard that too i'm sure uh i mean i i, I think i've heard more about band of outsiders than breathless oh my god really okay this is changing um, everything for me yeah um and and like a, a a part of it too was that i had heard about it and seen a scene from it in the dreamers bernardo bertolucci's the dreamers mm -hmm. i don't know if you remember that like where they recreate the scene where they race through the the Louvre um right. yeah uh but no like it, you're absolutely right it is very much like more about like those those moments in between like when they're talking on the train or driving in cars like I love the driving scenes in this because it was like clearly like a camera mounted on a car and not a mm -hmm. rear projection like a lot of the fucking uh 50s and 60s and 70s movies did right um and yeah just just like a fun uh sort of experience i don't know it, it felt unpredictable like anything could happen which is i think why people love the french new wave in general yeah i uh I, i'm sorry i don't have too much to add to this to be completely honest it's just like he he is one of these filmmakers more than maybe anyone else that i've seen so far that yeah. you can instantly recognize him but it seems like he's not doing anything like i'm so fucking amazed by this that like you're it's like when you see someone draw like a, a cartoon and when you see them do the lines you're like i can do that anyone can draw a cartoon until you fucking try to do it and you can't so, <laughs> fun story about that I, this is a little sidetrack but okay. i was trying to like draw the characters from adventure time like the simplest fucking cartoons ever oh. i couldn't do it i fucked it up it looked yeah. all shit they're just smiley faces but whatever like I, well that's that's literally the point it's like the genius in it is that it should be simple but it's not the genius in john luc godard is like in theory if, dude if everyone could just pick up a camera and shoot realist shit like everyone would do it not everyone can do it this guy did it um yeah. and and the stories are pretty unflinching i mean like they're they're not they're not hard or, or dark or heavy or anything really uh but but they they also don't compromise in any way and i think that's why i really like this one i do think it's more fun than breathless i just i maybe it's breathless was the first one i saw but that was the one that was like holy shit you can just do this because it was very similar like the driving scenes and yeah. the the quick cuts right like all this shit that hadn't been done yet it was like oh wow because we're used to like yeah the, the rear projection and the fucking like uh, on a little forklift or some shit you know what i mean however they get that shot it's just so anyway the, the point is it's it's this it's a fun little film i'm glad that you said you might love it um yeah like the only thing keeping me from saying that is like some of the character relationships and maybe it is beside the point is like i don't understand why this girl liked either of these dudes um, <laughs> or it takes until the end for her to be like i think i love you like i, I don't know the south africa like all right maybe it's not a perfect film all right maybe i'm coming at it hard now <laughs> no i agree i agree i i think i think that there's got to be there's a word for it in french i'm sure um folie adieu maybe i don't know it's like madness shared between two Right. Uh, but with three people you know what i'm saying like that's the whole thing like uh, his films feel like square pegs trying to be put into round holes sometimes they don't well, always fit but they because like what passes is like a flirtation scene in this movie like where they're like this dude arthur is like trying to get with this girl is basically him making her uncomfortable <laughs> and right. then like eventually she just sort of is like okay into it. yeah <laughs> Well, that's it's what every guy needs to know. If you're just mean to a woman long enough, they'll like you, right? That's why you pull pigtails in preschool and shit, you know? I, I think you could play a drinking game to this movie where, like, every time she says, that's horrible, why would you say such a thing? Like, yeah. you'd be very drunk by the end of this. <laughs>
it just says it a lot right but, uh, like still i think that is like kind of baked into the whole french new wave thing is like the characters aren't necessarily supposed to be likable um right. their relationships are sort of like uh this illusory thing um as they're going off into the sunset they even say like uh, are we really going off into the sunset do you really love me she's like we'll see yeah <laughs> maybe nothing lasts forever man like i heard that outcast song and they, they had it on front street like what what is outcast and there's a whole sequel of time travel and shit but right because like when the paint was drying like it is like supposed to be a refutation of like uh the classic way of storytelling where they go off into the sunset and it's like all good right, right. like this is more like oh yeah maybe sometimes people aren't really all that good for each other and that's okay they're good for each other in this moment yeah, I heard somewhere Nichols say that the graduate was 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 reaching for something like this because the graduate has a very similar kind of like amazing right. ending where people are like, "Yay, what did we do?" Like, uh, and I've I've always loved that ending. I think it's like amazing because that's because that's the real emotion for any big decision. Like, I love my wife. Let me tell you, like twenty minutes mm. after being married, I was like, "What did I do?" No, I love her. It's amazing. Anytime you make a big decision at all, you're gonna be freaked the fuck out about it, and it's good that they show it. Uh, they did it better in the graduate for actual the like scary moment of it and. Uh, the part i think they're doing it to kind of upend the conventions but in any case man it's interesting i do have a good art film for next week uh, I'm, I'm flirting with putting on the list uh, so it'd be really interesting to kind of to, to co- compare and contrast yeah, let, i mean let's dig in i mean I, I i've technically seen breathless but i didn't really see breathless because i don't remember it for reasons mm-hmm. i'm not going to get into <laughs> i've gotten into them with you you remember well you have amnesia yeah it was that one yeah. time where amnesia happened in the real world yeah I, had a concussion um but yeah i don't know do you want to like give your tentative uh next six i've kind of got a tentative list here um if you don't mind i'm gonna go into it uh because we do this by six films i don't know why but that's just what we do uh so my next six uh three women by robert altman um marjorie prime by somebody uh waves by trey edward schultz memories of murder by bong joon ho Happiness by Todd Salons and Braveheart by Mel Gibson, a movie oh, man, that I've been it. jokingly threatening to put on this list. And I'm what was the one after Memories? Uh, Happiness by Todd Salons. Okay, I've seen Memories of Murder, by the way, and it's good. I haven't seen it in a minute, so I'm totally down to rewatch it if you are. Um, yeah, I've, I've never seen it, so like oh, I, yeah. I have only off of this list. I have only seen three of them. I've seen Marjorie Prime, Waves, and Braveheart. So. Uh, happiness is from all accounts going to be a very tough watch and three women is supposed to be like one of robert altman's weirder efforts but also one of his most rewarding it's like this oh, i really like him I, re- I i need to do a more of a dive on him but everything i've seen from altman i'm like yo that was the shit wasn't he and people revere yeah. him people talk about him as amazing i just haven't seen enough you know him well, and think- Cement are the two that i'm always like those two i should really check out you know yeah, like I know Paul Thomas Anderson says Robert Altman, if anybody influenced him, it would be Robert Altman. Like he's the guy. Um, so definitely excited to watch Three Women. Apparently it's based on a dream that Robert Altman had and you know. takes on a, the logic of a dream too. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how that goes. I don't know. Um, okay, I have a list here and I'm going to replace one thing because you've seen it, but I do want to include it eventually because I haven't seen it. I was going to put Badlands by Terrence Malick. I've never seen Badlands by Terrence Malick and I really want to. So that's for next, next list. I've replaced that temporarily. My list this week uh, is going to be uh, five easy pieces. I know you've seen that one as well, but I haven't. And I'm like, hey, let's talk about it. years since I've seen that. Oh, it's been a minute. Okay, cool. I was already watching it like two weeks ago or something. I was like, oh, fuck. Um, yeah, so five, five Easy Pieces, which is Jack Nicholson. It's supposed to be this really wonderful 70s film. I kind of wanted to stay American after you uh, jokingly scolded me. Uh, Paris, Texas, which is, I did love this movie. You've seen Paris, Texas or no, right? That's one you haven't. Henry Dean Stanton, man, holy shit, is just a wonderful fucking actor who's so underrated. Isn't that a Wim Wenders? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, so five easy pieces, uh, Paris, Texas, Endless Poetry by Alejandro Jodorowsky. I'm going to get you get your Jodorowsky in there. Um, Broadway, Danny Rose by Woody Allen uh, and Alphaville by Jean-Luc Godard. Nice. So, you know, I got you some I American almost, films. I actually almost put Alphaville on this list because that was a movie that I had in my Netflix DVD queue for like years. And then I stopped getting Netflix DVDs and I just kept bumping it away from my my list. Uh, so excited to finally watch 
all of those, but especially. Well, I, I left one off here. I'm sorry. I only did five of those. Uh, the last one is a weird movie that I also have not seen. So this is a little bit film education for both of us, uh, which is called The Last Movie by Dennis Hopper. It's like a 1971 film. It's right after Easy Rider. I've heard it's this masterpiece or the worst film ever made. What I know is it put Dennis Hopper in movie jail for like nine years. Yeah. Uh, have you seen it? No, I haven't. But I, I have seen Easy Rider. And if I understand his his headspace around that time, it <laughs> might be an interesting film. Right, because Easy Rider is that thing where I think we fetishize it as a film because the imagery of it. We're like, oh, yeah, I went down to Nazareth, man. Motorcycles, Peter Fonda, man. Like the, Again, much like Daisy's, the experience of watching Easy Rider is a different thing. But, you know, no, like, I again, uh, when the paint was uh, drying. Uh, I'm excited about it because it sounds apocalyptic. When I, when I first heard about the movie, it reminded me of this story by Jorge Luis Borges, who's this really wonderful Argentinian writer. He did this story called The Gospel According to Mark. Yep. Uh, and what it is is about this guy named Mark, who's like a well-educated city guy, uh, goes to the countryside for a couple of days, and there's this great flood. And while there's this great flood, he decides to read the Bible to these ranch hands who don't read. They can't read the Bible. They're like uneducated or whatever. So he reads the Bible, even though he doesn't believe this shit at all. He just decides to read it as fiction. And then one day they wake up and they crucify him because they believe it. <laughs> like, that's the whole thing. And when I read that, the movie, apparently the last movie is about, like, Dennis Hopper playing, like, a horse wrangler on a movie set in, like, the Colombian jungle or some shit. I don't know. It gets really epic really quickly, and it's this metafictional thing. It sort of reminded me of F is for Fake, but way darker. So I'm into it, man. Those are my six, and you got some English, so don't yell at me. <laughs> bitch, you xenophobic I, bitch. Wow. <laughs> I I won't, man. I promise. Um, but yeah, no. Excited to watch those next six. Uh, do you have locked in what you want to watch for the next episode? Or I guess we can just figure that out uh, off mic. Yeah, let's do that. Figure that out off mic. So uh, <laughs> tune in next time where we will watch some more films. You can also tune into our other show. It's called Off Mic. We don't record it, but we but it's <laughs> riveting. The reviews are hot. Yeah, if you want to tune your psychic wavelength to that that fun show. <laughs> All right, bud. I'll see you next week. Yeah, see you.